The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. If you would turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I want to just uh, read two verses to you from chapter 14 of John's Gospel this morning, looking at verse 1 and then verse 27. John writes this. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Then down in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning. I have to say it's good to be back with you. Very good to be back with you. Uh, there's a lot I would like to say to you. There's not, I'm not sure if I can say it all this morning. Uh, Mr. Boyd has already fired a warning shot across the bow and, and made, made it very clear to me that today is not the day to go on and on. So, um, message received, message honored, brother. Um, but it is good to be back with you. I've missed you. I've missed you. The crowd I've, I've served for the last uh, 10 months uh, looks very different than you. Uh, I can assure you of that. Uh, the worship service looked very different than the one we're in today. The environment was very different uh, than the environment we find ourselves in today. Uh, in that place, I had to lead the music and preach. So praise God, you don't have to endure that this morning. Um, you've been blessed far, far more by what you've heard than anything I could do. Um, I'm thankful that that part of, of my life is over for sure. Uh, but you all kind of look like a band of uh, outlaw dentists with your masks on. Uh, I did see that since March. So uh, in March we were dealing, late February, early March, you know, where I was, we were wearing those things all the time. So I'm used to seeing them and learning how to read people's eyes. Uh, there's a lot to say, and, and, and uh, I, won't, I won't bore you with details from all of that season of my life this morning, but I'm happy to share with you, uh, if you'd like to talk with me offline about, about my deployment, the things that happened, and the things I did, I'm more than happy to, to talk with you about that uh, at your convenience. But I'll just suffice it to say that, uh, as a sum, couple of summary statements, deployment is hard. It's the first time I've, I've ever done anything like that, and, and, and certainly it was, yeah, it was hard. Uh, it was hard, but it was incredibly rewarding in a lot of ways as well. It's certainly hard to be away from you. It's hard to, you know, be away from, from my family. Uh, it was, you know, hard to sort of drop into a, an environment that you know nothing about, filled with people that you've never met, uh, doing things that you've never done. Uh, those are not things that come natural to me in my, in my sort of uh, personal skill set and things that I enjoy. Uh, in fact, it's pretty much opposite of, of that. So uh, that brought great challenges, but it was a great opportunity for God to stretch me and to grow me and to help me to develop and exercise a whole different set of sort of spiritual muscles, if you will, than the ones that I normally exercise here uh, with you. It was the, uh, really the first time, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home, so I grew up around the church. Uh, that was just sort of the, the uh, environment in which my life has existed really from, from birth, so being uh, on this deployment was really the first time in my life that, 
I've ever been sort of immersed in and surrounded by lost people everywhere I went. It was really the first time that I have lived for any extended period of time spiritually in the vast, vast, vast minority. And so that was a whole different sort of experience for me. Again, in many ways challenging, but in many ways rewarding also. Um, so it was a challenging time. I'm glad that chapter's over. I'm glad to be back with you. And uh, before we, we move into the text, I just want to say a, a blanket thank you to all of you. Uh, there's no way that I could individually thank from here at this moment everybody that made a contribution to, to helping sort of me and, and our family, you know, sort of move through the 10 months. But so many of you did. I didn't bring them this morning, but I've got a whole stack of cards uh, that, that you sent. I didn't go to the trouble of printing the emails or, or the text messages or the Facebook messenger messages that you sent, but so many of you did those things. I tried uh, as best I could to respond. I hope I was able to respond to those of you who sent, sent things to me, uh, but if I didn't, uh, know that I received them and know that they were an encouragement uh, and I'm glad you sent them. It, those things were the things that sort of uh, uh, gave me the, uh, the energy to move forward on the days when it was really hard. So thank you for that. Uh, I told the, uh, the Barneys this morning when I saw them briefly uh, I get the best birthday greeting in my entire life in a Marco Polo video from them uh, on my birthday. Uh, so special with the little girls and they were just singing, it was wonderful. So many of you did, did things like that. Many of you called and texted and provided help and encouragement to, to Danielle and Aiden while I was gone as well and to those of you who uh, uh, took the time to do that. We were just genuinely grateful for your help. One thing that's clear uh, whether you're in the U.S. or whether you're somewhere in the Middle East, right now we're living in a very troubled world. We're living in a very troubled world. The world around us seems to be in absolute turmoil. Do you notice that? Uh, it looks like on about every front there's some sort of chaos, and it seems like from day to day, week to week, some new flavor of chaos is sort of rearing its head. There's, there's external conflicts, there's wars, there's conflicts. Somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40 different wars or conflicts are going on right now somewhere in the world. Over the last 3,400 years uh, of human history, I read this week, only about 268 of those years were years of, of, of general peace. That's about 8% of the last 3,400 years. It was estimated. Just in the 20th century alone, over 108 million people have, have died in some sort of a war or conflict. And those things continue on right now. I spent the last, uh, nine of the last 10 months at least in an undiagnosed, undiagnosed, undisclosed and undiagnosed location uh, somewhere in a war zone over in Bahrain. Uh, it wasn't a place where people were shooting at me or anything like that, but we were just a couple missile flight, a couple minutes of a missile flight from the nearest hostile location that had things pointed in our direction. So war and regional conflict were a regular conversation, a daily conversation, really. 
So I'm acutely aware, perhaps more in my, than I ever have been in my life, of what war and conflict in the world looks like and the toll that it takes. People are fighting and dying all over the place. But it's not just sort of an external turmoil that the world is in. People who live in the world are struggling inside. There's, there's an inner turmoil that people are dealing with, an inner trouble. People ask me what I did on my deployment. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours sitting with people, listening to them explain and describe to me often in vivid language and detail the turmoil that's going on inside of them. Spent hours and hours hearing about marriages that are uh, in chaos, hostility and anger and infidelity and bitterness disintegrating. Listening to people talk about hopelessness that's set into their hearts and they're really wrestling with all the things that have gone wrong in their life and trying to sort out whether it really makes sense to live another week or, or not. Listening to people talk about the trouble and the turmoil inside of, of deeply rooted anger and bitterness that uh, as a, from a variety of situations and circumstances and events had taken root in their heart and they hadn't been able to get rid of it and it was eating them alive. We live in a troubled world. There's trouble on the outside. People have trouble and turmoil on the inside. And if that isn't enough, we've all dealt with something called COVID-19, Right? It's been a joy and a pleasure and a privilege for us all. It's affected everybody in some way. It's changed everybody's life in some way. Many people have become sick and many people have died. The fear of those things has caused its own sort of turmoil and shutting down gatherings and churches and isolating people from one another and isolating people from the very things that could provide them help and hope in the midst of the chaos. Millions of people have lost jobs and lost income. Drug abuse is on the rise. Depression, anxiety, hopelessness are going through the roof. Suicide is off the charts. Domestic abuse has increased. There's turmoil and there's trouble all around us and all inside of people from all the things that are happening. And fear and anxiety have sort of swept through the world because of these things. Community leaders are afraid. Political leaders are afraid. Military leaders are afraid. Church leaders are afraid. And beyond all of that, hostility seems to be increasing at every level of human experience. Do you see that? Anger and hostility. Nation versus nation. Political party versus political party. Hostility. Racial and class hostility that's brewing and, and bubbling all over the place. And person versus person hostility, often within families and, 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 and uh, even within friendship circles. It seems that civil conversation and civil discourse have almost been eliminated. There's just anger. This has affected us all in some ways. But I'll tell you this, it has presented all of this turmoil and trouble in the world, has presented for us as, as Christians a tremendous opportunity to display for the whole world to see the difference that Jesus Christ makes in a human life. Unfortunately, I think this is probably true on the broad spectrum, at least and by limited exposure, and probably to limited degrees in each of our own lives. It's probably been true that very, in very many times we haven't shown that difference. In fact, the way we've just sort of responded to the trouble and the turmoil has looked an awful lot like 
the way the lost world around us has reacted. Back in 1972, those of you who were alive, I was not, um, but some of you were, I can tell, uh, the color of your hair. Um, You may remember Stevie Wonder. You remember Stevie Wonder? He wrote a song in 1972 called Evil. And the lyrics of the song begin and say this, Evil, why have you engulfed so many hearts? Evil, why have you destroyed so many minds? Leaving room for darkness where lost dreams can hide. Evil, why do you infest our purest thoughts with hatred? Evil, why have you stolen so much love? This line is the one that caught me. Leaving everyone's emotions lost and wandering free. I don't know why that that line in that song caught my attention, but I guess it's because it seems to me that that's been one of the effects of the trouble and the turmoil around us and inside of us, that it's sort of left all of our emotions in many ways lost and wandering free, not knowing what to feel, not knowing what to think, not knowing how to react and what to say. When we get to John chapter 14, I think Jesus' disciples are in a very similar situation. They're not dealing with COVID, but they're dealing with their own, their own flavor brand of trouble and, and trial and turmoil, and they are in desperate need of peace in their hearts. They're getting ready to face something unlike anything they've ever faced before. Jesus is about to die, and he's begun to tell his disciples that that's what's going to happen. They're sort of hard-headed, and they don't want to believe that. They don't want to embrace that and understand it. They can't imagine what life would be like without him. He just a few years earlier, had come along their lives and called them to follow after him, and they had abandoned everything to follow him, and had given their lives to him. And now he's saying he's going to go away. And he's saying other troubling things, too. If you look back in chapter 13 of John's gospel, and before that, he's saying things like, one of you is going to betray me. He's saying things like, to Peter, like, you're going to deny me, deny even knowing me three times. And these guys are scratching their heads and they're anxious and they're troubled and they're upset and they're worried, maybe even a little angry and they have questions. What what is this all about? What's going to happen to the mission and the ministry? How are we going to survive without Jesus? We thought he was coming to establish his kingdom. we've, We've left our homes. We've left our careers. We've left everything. What will we do? Their hearts are troubled and they needed peace. And Jesus, the ever-compassionate Savior, knows his people, and he knows what they need. And so he speaks to them in John chapter 14, and he talks to them about peace. He talks to them about what is the remedy for a troubled heart that's full of turmoil. It's the opposite of that, a heart that is at peace. And he begins to explain that issue to them. I want to just sort of take a quick sweep over this this morning, this issue of peace for a troubled heart and peace for a troubled mind because it seems to be important to Jesus and it seems to be important to his disciples and I think it's important to us, certainly important, I think, in my own life. The primary New Testament word for peace is the word Irene. That doesn't mean anything to you, but if you know anybody named Irene, that's where their name comes from. It's, it's a word that, that sort of uh, has the, the idea of a, a tranquil state of the soul, if you will, sort of a, a soul that's assured of its salvation through Christ, and, and because of that, it doesn't fear anything from God, and it's content with everything that it has in its lot in life, whatever that lot might be. It's a heart and a life that's at peace. 
It's much more than just the, simply the absence of conflict. I think sometimes when we talk about peace, we think in terms of just the absence of conflict. But what Jesus has in mind when he speaks about peace and what the Bible t- teaches about peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it's a settled contentment of the soul, a tranquility of heart and a tranquility of mind that is, that is anchored in Christ that carries us through life, as the definition says, whatever our lot might be. The primary Old Testament word for this is the word shalom. You may have heard that word. It's used as a greeting in the Old Testament and still in some places of the world today. carries a broader range of meanings. But if we could summarize what does the Bible teach us about peace and what does it say to us about peace, it talks about at least three sort of aspects of our life where trouble and peace sort of are, are at play. There's our relationship with God, our sort of vertical peace. There's the inner peace and the inner sort of peace that comes in our own relationship with ourselves and how we think and how we feel and how we respond and how we react. And then there's sort of the external peace, the the peace that comes in our external relationships with other people. And the Bible calls us to peace in all three of those areas. We're to be at peace with God, we're to be at peace on the inside, and we're to be at peace with one another and with other people. And all of these things are related Vertical peace is the most foundational of all kinds of peace, and before we can have peace inside and before we can be living with any regularity at peace with other people, we have to be at peace with God, with the one who made us. It's critical. And vertical peace is something that's objective. It's something either you have it or you don't. You see, the Bible tells us since sin entered human experience in the Garden of Eden, that human beings have been at war with God. We don't come into this world at peace with God. We come into this world at war with God. We come into this world born sinners who have both a a, a natural inclination towards sin and a drive that sort of magnetizes us, if you will, toward doing what's evil and what's wrong. And the first opportunities we get to have the freedom to do that, we act on those things in various ways. We rebel against our creator, and every single one of us is a sinner, both by nature and by choice, and that sin, that rebellion, that war that we're waging with God has a consequence. Our relationship isn't right with him. We're not at peace with him. No human being is neutral. We don't come into the world neutral. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. There's not a somewhere in between. One of the things that I learned uh, while I was away in dealing with people who primarily don't know God in any real way is that a lot of people who are in that condition in life, they feel like they're kind of neutral toward God or they feel like they're okay. They don't understand that they're not. They don't understand that their relationship between them and their creator is not one of peace, it's one of war. They don't understand, like Romans chapter 5 says that, that, that we are enemies of God because of our sin and because of our rebellion. And because of that, we're under a death sentence. The wages of our sin is eternal death, damnation, separation from God eternally. Unless something changes our status in life, unless someone comes in and helps us, we will indeed die as God's enemies at war with him, and he'll win that war, and we'll lose. The result of being at war with God is a troubled heart. 
You can't live at peace on the inside when you're at war with your creator. And I saw this so vividly, so vividly, time and time again. People's lives just filled with turmoil and trouble. And they're blind to the reality that the only hope they have is to make peace with God through Jesus. But then there's that sort of internal peace, that subjective experiential peace that we experience on the inside when life around us kind of goes nuts. It's the result of a vertical peace with God. When we make peace with God through Jesus and that relationship gets right, the result then becomes for us a peace on the inside that is a gift from our Lord Jesus, as we'll see in chapter 14 of John's gospel, that's brought into our hearts and our lives by the Holy Spirit that buoys us, that stabilizes us when life begins to go crazy. This inner sort of a peace was described by a a fellow with a long name, Caesarius of Arles, he says this, peace is a serenity of mind, a tranquility of the soul, a simplicity of the heart. It's the bond of love, the fellowship of charity. It removes hatred. It restrains wrath. It tramples on pride. It loves humility. It pacifies the discordant, and it makes enemies agree. That, that, that phrase, the serenity of mind, tranquility of soul, simplicity of heart, was what captured my attention with that quote. That that's what an inner peace looks like. The kind of peace that Jesus promised his disciples when their hearts are troubled. It's, he's saying you don't have to live in a, with a troubled heart. Don't let your hearts be troubled. There's an alternative to that. Your heart can be serene. It can be tranquil. You can have an inner peace. As we flip the pages of our Bible, we see all throughout examples of what that looks like in action. We see God's people facing tremendously difficult circumstances and maintaining a, an inner peace. I think of someone like Daniel who in his day was told, you can't pray. You're no longer allowed to pray to your God. It's outlawed. It's against the law. You can't do it. You'll get arrested. You'll be thrown into prison if you do it. And Daniel does what? He gets up in the morning, and he does what he did every single day. He walks through his house. He opens up the windows so that everyone can see, and he kneels down and he prays. See, Daniel had that serenity of mind, that tranquility of the soul, that peace that said, it's okay. It's okay. Whatever God brings my way, it's going to be okay. I'm at peace. It looks like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the three young men who were told by King Nebuchadnezzar back in Daniel chapter 3, you have to bow down to my golden statue and worship here. The three young men, at threat of, of being thrown into a fiery death, stood before a king and peacefully, with a calm disposition, said, you know what, king? Our God is able to deliver us from this. But even if he doesn't, it's all right, but we can't worship your idol. You see, it's a, a peace. It's a peace that's on the inside, that's a gift from the Lord that stabilized them in the midst of that trouble. It's David who writes in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will, will fear what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Because you're with me, I'm at peace. I don't have to be afraid of evil. 
In Psalm 3, David says, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I won't fear with ten thousands draw up against me on every side. David says, look, life is troubling, and there are people around me who want to do harm to me and take my life. But you know what? At the end of the day, I go to my room, I put my hand on the pillow, and I sleep soundly through the night, and I wake up the next morning, and I do that in peace. Why? Is it because the world is right all around me and because there are no problems around? No. It's because the Lord is with him, and the Lord sustains him, and the Lord has granted him peace. So we can sort of summarize this inner peace as sort of a a calm assurance in the midst of troubling circumstances, a a selfless trust in a God who's sovereign, a a courageous response to troubling circumstances. Peace, that inner peace in action. And it's that kind of peace that Jesus is promising his disciples in chapter 14 of Gospel of John. Their hearts are stirred up because of the circumstances. And he says, listen, you don't need to let your hearts be troubled. Stop responding to what you think is happening this way. I've got a better way. There's a peace that you can have. And when we have that inner peace because it flows out of our relationship with God that's now at peace, we can then navigate with other people in relationships of peace. The Bible calls us to to peace with other people as sort of a a genuine fruit of the Spirit. In Romans 14, 19, it says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. In Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone. Listen, the clear testimony of Scripture is that Christians are not to be the kind of people who go around looking for a fight. We're not to be the kind of people who at heart and in our disposition and in our words and in our reactions are quarrelsome and hostile. Stirring things up around us in our families and in our relationships. In fact, believers are to be known as peacemakers. Jesus said, in his Sermon on the Mount, very, very clearly, what does he say? Do you remember? Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. And so external peace then flows out of an internal peace. When we're not at peace on the inside, it's hard to be at peace with other people. And we can't be at peace on the inside until we're at peace with God. So how does a person get this kind of a peace? Where does it come from and how do we get it? Well, in verse 27, Jesus makes it very clear. He says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. And so Jesus says very clearly, he is the source and the model for peace. Jesus says, I possess peace and it's my gift that I'm willing to give to you. The very same kind of peace that he modeled in his life is a gift that he's willing to impart to you through the power of the Holy Spirit and to me and to every believer. Jesus faced incredible circumstances in his life. He faced opposition. He faced mockery. He he faced unbelief. He faced faced provocation. He he faced the death of loved ones. He, He faced his very own impending death. And that's just a brief sampling of the things that he dealt with as far as trouble and turmoil and the circumstances of his life. But he navigated all of those things with a grace and with a peace that he offers to you and that he offers to me. My peace. 
the peace that sustained me, the peace that anchored my soul, is available to you. I'll give it to you. I'm the only source, though. You won't get it anywhere else. You can't find that peace anywhere else but in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only source for vertical peace. The good news for people like us, for for people like every human being that's ever entered humanity, people who are enemies of God, who come as sinners who are at war with God, the good news is there is a way for God's enemies to become God's friends. There's a way to end the war and make peace with God. But the only way is through faith in the Lord Jesus. It's the only way. Romans 5, verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. People like us who are enemies, there's hope. We can be reconciled to our God, but it's only through Christ. By placing our faith in what Jesus Christ has done in our place, dying for our sins, paying the price for our rebellion and our war that we've waged against God on our behalf, by placing our faith in him is the only way to make peace with God. It's the only way to be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ purchased our peace. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was, you know this passage, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. You remember this? Pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The result of what Christ has done when we place our trust in him is peace. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. That's where peace comes from. Peace with God comes through Christ and what he's done on our behalf and placing our faith in him. And Jesus is telling his disciples this right literally on the, on the brink of when he's going to go to the cross and accomplish this. They had no idea what was going on. They had no clue. They just heard that he was leaving. And they were upset and they were angry and they were anxious and they were afraid. They had no idea that his leaving was actually the mechanism by which he was going to purchase their peace. It's a clear indication that you and I, just like them, we, we never fully understand what God is doing in a moment, do we? We see things and we perceive things and we, 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 we think we paint a picture in our mind of what's going on, but we never fully understand what God is doing in the moment behind the scenes. Quite often, the things that we're afraid of, we have no reason to be afraid of. The things that worry us, we have no real reason to be worried, just like the disciples didn't. But there's only one way to peace vertically with God, and that's through Jesus. And he's also the only source for inner peace. It comes to us as we trust him. It comes to us as we look to him. It comes to us as we exercise our faith in the middle of our turmoil. And he says, this peace that I give you, it's not like what the world gives. It's very, very different. All around us, you can look and you can hear people promising peace they can't deliver. The world comes at us in all sorts of different angles telling us how we can find peace. One of uh, my closest friends that I made in Bahrain was a, a lady named Sejong. She was from South Korea. She's a Buddhist priest. We had to work together on a variety of events and we became 
Friends, she was an encouragement and a help to me in many, many ways. The faith she professes claims to offer peace. In Buddhism, you see, peace of mind comes from sort of detaching oneself from all of life's cravings through meditation and through living in the moment and through developing new mental habits, you sort of can achieve, they say, a mental state where you are able to detach from all your desires and you're able to detach from all of your needs and detach from all of your passions and you can achieve this state where you are detached from everything that causes the the turmoil and the trouble in your life and the result, they're telling us, is sort of a transcendent bliss and a peace. As much as I like and respect my friend, her faith can't deliver. It's not where peace comes from. Peace doesn't come from meditating and doing mental mind tricks. It doesn't come from trying to detach yourself from everything that matters. Peace comes through Christ. But the world offers a counterfeit peace all the time. Those of you, again, who uh, are slightly advanced in age beyond me, uh, would remember John Lennon, right? And his famous song, Imagine. It's still played all the time. Imagine there's no countries, right? Nothing to kill or die for and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Well, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be what? It'll be one. Peace comes, according to the Beatles, uh, or at least John Lennon, from getting rid of religion and from ending wars and everybody just coming together somehow mysteriously as one. Or maybe you've been riding down the street and you've seen the coexist stickers on the back of somebody's car, right, that have all the religious symbols and the message of the sticker and the message of that sort of philosophy is not that we need to get rid of all religions it's that we just blend them all together right if we can all just blend them together and drop the barriers between and all these sort of dogmatic doctrines and things that separate us if we could just sort of smash it all together we'll be all right we'll find peace one of the things that from sort of a tactical level on the ground that i saw in people's lives where they went to try and find peace when life was troubled all around them They ran to alcohol, to drunkenness, to sexual promiscuity. They ran to politicians and political viewpoints. The grown men ran to video games and immersed themselves in imaginary worlds. The problem is none of those things could ever bring true peace to any human being. It never did. At best, it served as a simple distraction from their turmoil. At worst, those things added to their turmoil. You see, the world has nothing to offer by way of peace that lasts. Jesus says, if you want peace, I'll give you my peace. That's the only peace that works. That's the only peace that will sustain you when the waves start crashing in your life. And it comes from me. So how do we get this? How do we get peace when life is going crazy? How do we gain peace when when COVID is still going on and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to end? How do we get peace when things are going crazy in in our relationships or in our work or in some other area of our life? Well, it's a very simple sort of corrective that Jesus gives here in verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. 
believe in God, believe also in me. Simply two things. You've got to stop doing one thing and start doing another. Stop allowing trouble and turmoil to rule your heart. The indication to his disciples is not that they need to not start this. The indication is they've already let this happen in their life and they need to stop it. They need to discontinue it. They've already allowed, they've already given their hearts over to trouble, to anxiety and to fear and to worry and they need to stop it. They need to put a stop to it. And he goes on to explain, we don't have the time this morning, Brother Boyd, to go through all this uh, of why, but he goes on to explain to them that it's super irrational for them to even be troubled. He's saying, it's irrational for you to be upset about me leaving. It's irrational, A, because I'm going to come back. It's irrational because, B, what I'm going to do is really for your benefit. And it's irrational, C, uh, because I'm not going to leave you alone when I go. I'm going to send someone else in my place to help. There's no reason for you to be troubled, so stop. 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 Stop allowing your heart to be given over to fear. Stop allowing your heart to be given over to anxiety and to worry. Stop allowing your heart to be given over to hopelessness. He's not telling them it's wrong to feel things or to hurt or to have a broken heart or to be upset. What he's saying to them is stop allowing those things to rule you and to drive your thoughts and to drive your emotions and to control your behavior and your decisions. Listen, we're all gonna experience trouble. All of us are. The Bible says, in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart, because why? I have overcome the world. You're gonna have trouble, but you can be at peace because you know I have overcome the world. Whatever happens in the world, whatever the world throws at you, I am greater and I've overcome it and it will come to an end and it does not have cause for you to be troubled. You need to be a person of peace. And where God gives us the responsibility, he gives us the ability. Listen, you and I do not have to be people who are overcome by anxiety and worry. We do not have to be the kind of people who are overcome by our fears. We do not have to be the kind of people who are laying in the bed at night, ruminating over all the things that are going on in our life and losing sleep. Jesus says, I'll give you my peace. But you have to come to me, and you're going to need to exercise faith. That's the opposite, right? Stop giving, don't let your heart be troubled, but believe in God. Believe in me. It's another way of saying stop giving your heart over to these things and start trusting in me. Because that's really the crux of the issue. When we give ourselves over to fear and anxiety and worry and panic and hopelessness, what we're doing is we're making an exchange. We're trading in our trust in Christ, and we're giving ourselves over to these things. We're saying, in, in essence, Christ, we believe you're, you can help us with some things, but this thing, I'm not sure about. I, I think I need, to, I need to stew on it a bit. To start exercising faith. Listen, when you and I are in the middle of terrifying situations, there's only one way to be victorious, and that's by choosing intentionally not to be controlled by the turmoil and to look to Jesus Christ and to the peace that he promises by his Holy Spirit. Hebrews, the writer says this, let us fix our eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Right? 
What do we do when life is troubling, when there's turmoil rising inside of us? We look to Christ. We take our eyes off of the trouble. We take our eyes off of the turmoil. We stop stewing on it and going over it and over it and over it and over it in our minds. And we look to Christ. We find him in his word. We find him as we hit our knees and we go to him in prayer, don't we? Philippians 4 says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and get this, and the peace of God, the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. The Buddhist doesn't understand it. The coexistiker guy doesn't understand it. John Lennon doesn't understand it. But that peace will guard your heart and it'll guard your mind in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of Christ. Listen, let's just be candid with one another, right? It's probably time for a lot of us to just sort of detach from some of the things that are driving the turmoil and trouble in our hearts, in our minds. Some of us need to turn off the television and stop allowing other people to drive our fears. Some of us probably just need to sign off of social media for a little while, right? And just sort of extract from sort of the stuff that's blowing around out there that's driving our turmoil and our trouble and pray. We turn off the TV and we pray. We detach from the social media and instead we look to Christ and we pray. We disengage from whatever battles we're fighting with other people and instead we, we pray Instead of spinning in our minds over and over what's wrong in the world and what's wrong in our lives and what's wrong in our relationships, we stop and we pray, pray for peace. So how are you doing? How are you doing in this area of peace? There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going going on around us. And I, don't, I haven't been involved in the details of your lives in the past 10 months, but I'm certain in the crowd of this size that in your lives there's other stuff that I don't know anything about that's going on. Stuff that would cause trouble. Stuff that could cause turmoil. Stuff that could breed fear and anxiety and worry. Stuff that could keep you up at night. Have these things robbed you of your peace? Have they robbed you of that? Have you lost it? I plead with you this morning to take a good long look in the mirror and realize this is not how God has called you to live as a believer. There is a lost world that is all around us facing the same trouble and what they desperately need to see from Christians in the world right now is something different. They need to see Christians whose souls and hearts and minds are anchored in the peace that comes from Christ so that our words sound different than the words they're hearing in other places so that our attitudes look different than the attitudes they're seeing displayed in other places. So the way we're responding in our lives speaks to them peace and calm, not panic and chaos. Maybe you look at yourself in the mirror and you take a long, hard look and you realize, you know what, I've never really been someone who's been at peace. All my life there's been turmoil and there's been trouble. Maybe the, the, re- the reason for that is you, you, you've never made peace with God through Jesus. Maybe it's you've never looked at yourself in the mirror and realized that you're a sinner whose rebellion has separated you from God and you are currently at war with him and because of that, nothing else in your life is ever gonna be peaceful. 
for any length of time. And maybe right now you just need to confess your sin and trust your life to Christ and make peace with your creator and be reconciled through the blood of Jesus. There's no magic formula for that or magic prayer. You do that by confessing your sin and placing your trust in Jesus to do for you what your religious works, your attending church, and what your good actions and good works in your life could never accomplish. Paying for your sin. We have to be people of peace, and Christ has called us to that. Let's pray right now that God would grant us that as a church, that he would grant us that as individuals, and that the testimony that we would display for the world would be a testimony of the peace that passes understanding. Lord Jesus, you are gracious, and you are kind. You are so good to us. Well beyond what we deserve, what we've earned, You know us better than we know ourselves. You knew your disciples. You knew what was stirring up in their hearts before they even said it. And by your grace and mercy, you met them at the point of their turmoil and you gave them precisely what they needed, the peace that comes from you. And God, this morning, we too live in a troubled world. All kinds of things going on. There's disease, there's unrest, There's injustice, there's anger, there's hostility, there's hopelessness, there's politics, there's all sorts of things that are creating trouble and turmoil around us. And Lord, the the natural flesh that we are born with is drawn to those things. And our flesh is naturally magnetized towards Worry and fear and anxiety and hopelessness, hand-wringing, loss of sleep. But Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You are the Lord of Peace. You are the one who modeled for us perfect peace even as you looked to the cross where you would give your life in a brutal death. Lord, we need tranquility of heart. We need a calmness in our souls. We need words of peace and thoughts of peace on our lips and in our minds. And the world has nothing to offer us but placebos and distractions. But you give real peace. You've promised you'll give it to us if we look to you. And so this morning, together and corporately, we look to you for peace. Make us people of peace. Make our words be words of peace. Anchor our hearts and our souls in you. Help us to trust in you. And we pray that you would receive glory as we display this peace for the world to see. For it's in your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.